This is recording number 10945 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, October 2, 2011. This is the 23rd message in this series titled, Doctor's Gospel. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, House of Prayer. Now, Luke chapter 19 is, uh, as this whole book is, full of just, oh, such wonderful, um, deep stuff. And I, it, the challenge for me, I can't even remember now how long ago we started this study of, the, of this book, but... The challenge for me through this whole entire study has been to figure out uh, what to leave out <laughs> because uh, we've had to kind of leave out a lot. So anyway, when it came to chapter 19, I got to tell you, I had this huge dilemma. There are certain passages in the Bible that are, and you have this too, there are certain passages of, of the Bible that just are deeply moving and meaningful to me and they've become deeply woven into the fabric of my relationship with God and <clears throat> anytime I get near them I am just drawn to them like a magnet and this chapter contains two verses that bring me close <laughs> to one of the one of the signature passages in my relationship with God and my understanding about his church and my calling as a person, as an individual, and my calling as a pastor. And so, uh, as I've been studying this, this chapter in preparation for this morning, as hard as I tried, I cannot break the, magnet, the, um, uh, you know, the magnetic draw of these two verses to the, another passage in another book that just means so much to me. If you hang around with us long enough, you're going to hear me come back to this other passage because it's something that's part of the foundational frame of reference that this church uh, and what we feel God has called us to do sets on. So... I'm going to ask you to pardon me if we skip a whole lot of chapter 19 today. It's not because it isn't worth studying. It is. But I just cannot get away from verses 45 and 46 and then the passage they point to. So Luke chapter 19 verse 45. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. When I, as a young man, began to ask the Lord, when I, when I had a sense that the Lord was drawing me or calling me towards being a pastor, a leader, a shepherd of, of, you know, of people in the context of his church. One of the 
first things I started to ask the Lord was, well, what is the church? What is it that I'm supposed to um, give my life in service towards? And this event that follows the triumphal entry, and how many of you know what I mean when I say the triumphal entry? Raise your hand if you know. Okay, if you don't know, what we mean is that Preceding Jesus' last week, final week of ministry before the cross, he entered into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, if you've heard of uh, Palm Sunday, uh, that's the, the day that we, we mark this event because Jesus came riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey and people laid palm fronds in the pathway. They laid garments in the pathway. And... One of the first things that he did, having come into Jerusalem, was he went to the temple and he, he confronted um, really the religiosity. It, 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 sometimes people get a little, a little distracted by the terminology. He came into the temple and he overturned uh, the tables of the money changers. There were guys there, you know, Sue and I, when we went to... Last uh, a week and a half ago to Taiwan, we had to exchange our U.S. currency for uh, NT, New Taiwan Dollars. Uh, and people, when they came into the temple, pilgrims from all over the, the world, they would ch um, have to change the currency of their homeland or the land they were coming from into the coin of the temple so that they could make, make their offerings and gifts. And so there, Jesus came in and he overturned the tables of the money changers. And then there were people there selling sacrificial animals. And he set all of the, uh, those animals free and just made a mess of things. And that's what is being referred to here in verses 45 and 46. Jesus wasn't just confronting the commercialism that was going on, although and certainly it was commercialism, and certainly that, that in, and its, in and of itself would have been something to address. What he was really confronting was the religiosity. Because both of these things, the, the uh, uh, currency exchange that was going on, the money changing that was going on, and the buying and se or the selling excuse me, of sacrificial animals, both of these things had their roots in um, good ideas. You know, the religious leaders wanting to help facilitate the worship of people coming from distant lands. I mean, if you were coming from Ethiopia, you didn't want to have to drag your sacrificial lamb with you all the way along that journey. So you could come to the temple and buy a sacrifice there. Uh, if you are coming again from some other part of the world and, you know, they, you would want to exchange your money so that you could give a financial offering to, to the temple and, and thus a, a gift to the Lord. So they set these things in place. They allowed these things to happen, not to make money, but to facilitate uh, worship and religious uh, activity. Problem is... Any human effort to um, sort of help worship along, kind of help make things work better, can quickly, very quickly devolve into something that actually does the exact opposite. I've been involved in leading in a church context for so long now that I have 
seen this played out again and again and again. In fact, I've been the cause of this kind of thing. Things that were meaningful, uh, you know, programs that we set in place in a church that we meant to help facilitate worship and then take on a life of their own and people begin to serve it instead of the Lord they were intended to help uh, the people serve. And so it's always one of the things you, if you serve with me in leadership, one of the things you know pretty quick, find out pretty quickly is that I'm always looking for what we can stop doing. Because I figured out that in, in the religious context, things become uh, sacred very quickly and uh, you don't touch them. They're like the third rail. Well, I just know uh, from experience, and this is a good example, that anything, anything, anything we add to the very simple uh, context of people just worshiping God together, living life together under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, if we're not careful, can be a, become a distraction from the Lord. And so Jesus came into the temple and he confronted. That's what religion is. It's men's attempt, human attempt, human attempts by human effort to please God. And Jesus was confronting that. And in the wake of the mess that he made, and you can imagine, I mean, money's rolling on the floor in a crowd. What happens then? People are diving for money, right? Animals are loose in the temple. You know what animals do. This is a mess. And the well-oiled machinery of the temple service was grinding to the halt. And the, the, the uh, religious leaders are livid. But, not here in, this, in Luke's account, but the other gospel accounts tell us the blind and the lame came. The children started singing. And they're all upset because these, these untrained voices are, are singing praise songs. And, and Jesus said, haven't you figured, haven't you read this Bible? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants comes perfect praise. Haven't you got, this is what's supposed to happen. You see, he, he was reorienting people to the things of the Lord the things that were true, the things that were important, the things that were priorities. But in answer to my question to Jesus as a young man, what is the church? I was drawn to this statement of Jesus. It is written, he's quoting actually from two passages of the Old Testament. He said, it is written, my house is to be a house of prayer. My house is a house of prayer. He doesn't finish the statement. It's really... It went, and we'll turn there in a minute and you'll see. It's a house of prayer for all nations. The reason he didn't finish it is because these guys knew it by heart. And as soon as he mentioned this, just this little bit of the phrase, they could fill in the rest. And then he quotes from Jeremiah and he says, But you have made it a den of thieves. And that contrast, just, just I can't even explain how it gripped my heart and soul as a young man headed for the ministry. And ever since then, I've been trying in every context the Lord will give me leadership. Whether it's in 
the congregations that I've pastored or the pastors that we're overseeing. I want to do everything I can to confront the den of thieves and pr promote the house of prayer. Now, if you think about what a den of thieves is, it's a, it's a, a collection, a, a inward-focused collection of people who are determined to rob from others. Now, ch in church, you know, sadly, sadly, this is often the case where it starts to be about us and our little thing, our little, you know, program on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is, and how it's meeting our needs. Problem is that that's not what the church is supposed to, that's not what God's house is supposed to be. Because what, what happens then is that those that the house is for, a house of prayer for all nations, those that the house, of, that the, that the house is for are left out. They're locked out. And what ends up happening is that the, the church robs the people who need it the most, the presence of God. We don't do it on purpose. We don't do it on purpose. But so often, in fact, this may, be, may have been true for you this morning. When you came in here, you may have found... Uh, see, I figure any visitor who actually makes it into a seat in a church deserves a million bucks. <laughs> I don't have it to give you, but... Because that's a big deal, right? You have to get over a pretty sizable thre you know, threshold to do that. You don't know what, what's going to happen. You don't know if I'm going to stand up here and scream at the top of my lungs or, you know, hang from the, swing from the chandeliers or, you know, my eyes are going to roll back in my head and I'm going to do weird... You don't know. You don't know if I'm going to make you get out of your seat and walk up here and take communion. You don't know what I'm going to do. And then we start singing songs and ask you to sing along on stuff you've never heard before in your life. And we use terminology you're not aware of and, you know, it's a big deal. So to me, anybody who makes it into a church as a visitor and actually sits down and stays through the service, you're doing pretty good. Because we can't help it but make sort of a, a high threshold. You know, but, but Jesus is saying, let's tear the threshold down because that threshold is robbing people of my presence. And that's the negative. The positive is my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. So let's turn now to Isaiah 56. That's where he was quoting from. Isaiah is way back in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 56, and we'll spend the rest of the time that we have the, this morning there looking at verses 3 through 8. Jesus said, My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, when he said that, he didn't mean just that people would get together and pray. Now, certainly that's a part of, of what he meant, but that's not all that he meant. Because prayer is conversation, communication with God. What he is saying is, my house, 
the place that the, my, the people of God meet. And let me just say, it, wasn't, it isn't so much about the place. It's about the people. My people are supposed to be ones who help others connect with me, commune with me, meet with me. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, a place where people connect with God. Verse 3 of Isaiah 56 Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. He's talking about two kinds of people. The outsider and the sin-scarred. The outsider, the foreigner. Now, he's not just talking about someone who is of a different nationality or ethnicity. He's talking about anyone who is uh, naturally disconnected from the things of God. You know, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people that I interact with during the course of my day that have no natural connection to God. We live in a time, and I used to be when I was a kid, there almost always was somebody in the family that still had some sort of connection to church. That's not true in the United States anymore. And it's certainly not true in in much of the world. I've just come from a country where most people, the vast, the vast majority of people don't have any idea who Jesus is. But here, right at home, we, have, we are surrounded by people this morning, right out the doors, right in this neighborhood. People who don't have any longer in their family, anywhere, any natural connection to the things of God. People don't own a Bible. They wouldn't know what to do with one if they did. And any ideas or notions they have about God have been shaped by who knows what. Television, movies, their friends. They don't have any natural connections to the things of God. And the Lord is speaking here and he says, Don't let the son of the foreigner, don't let the outsider think this way. Don't let them come to the conclusion, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. And then he talks about the eunuch. And I, and I, you know, I hate to bring this up. It's a little graphic. But a eunuch is a, is a castrated man. And typically, that was done um, voluntarily. Because then you could be, you could have a place of, uh, of uh, high responsibility uh, in a monarch's court because you could then be responsible for the harem and not be a sexual threat to the king. So, can you imagine the perks of the office and the attraction of the power and especially because most uh, kings and monarchs in those days were considered gods that the 
the appeal of being close to the God was of such value that you'd be willing to make that kind of sacrifice and literally bear the scars of your idolatry. Jesus said, or or the Lord says, excuse me, in verse 3 of Isaiah 56, don't let the eunuch get this idea. Here I am, a dry tree. In other words, here I am without any hope. Here I am without any future. I have, I am too far gone. Don't let the eunuch get that idea. I want to tell you that the church of Jesus Christ, when Jesus said my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, and you're going to see it in this passage, this is where it comes from. He was talking about the outsider and the sin scarred. And he said, if you represent me, don't let the outsider get the idea that he is cut off from me. Don't let the sin scarred get the notion that they have no future, that they're too far gone. And then he goes on and talks more about it. And this is the passage that I can, I cannot get away from. It has taken root in me in such a deep way that I am compelled to come back here again and again. So you may have heard this message before from me, but it won't be the last time either. Because if we are doing what the Lord has called us to do, church, it will be this. Look at verse... um, See, where am I in my slides here? Look at verse 6. Also the son of the foreigner, the sons of the foreigner, who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to his servant, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So now, remember, he's talked about the outsider, the foreigner, and the sin scarred, the eunuch. And we're going to take those in reverse, or uh, we're going to take those in that order, even though they show up in the passage in reverse order. We're going to talk about the outsider. And the Lord says that the outsider, verse 7, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. I think if we're going to be a church like Jesus meant for us to be, that we always have an invitation to the outsider. That it's, there's never this, this invisible sign on the door that says only the initiated can come in. That we always, not only are in theory, but in practice, reaching out to those who don't have any natural connection to the things of the Lord, that they feel invited and welcomed. And I will make them, verse 7 goes on to say, joyful in my house of prayer. Can I just say to you as a lifelong member of the church of Jesus Christ, 
that oftentimes what people experience when they come to church is something other than joy? But Jesus said, the outsider, when they, when they connect with my people, when they're in my house, they ought to have a lot of fun. They ought to, be, they ought to have a blast. It ought to be the place where the, it's the highlight of their week. Why? Because our God. <laughs> That's why. Because of our God. He is not, and you know this, he is not some, some um, stern-faced, bony finger-waving, you know, uh, creep in the universe. You know, he is, he is the one who the Bible says dances over us with joy. He's the one who is uh, the 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 song behind creation he is the he is the one who fired the light of the sun with his words he is he is the embodiment of joy it ought to be that the church of jesus christ is a place where people encounter that because you certainly don't anywhere else in this world do you maybe happiness But happiness is just a flimsy, shallow imitation of joy. It goes on to say, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Now this one, people have, church people have trouble with sometimes. Access. Uh, We have trouble with it because, you know, we, we kind of reserve the, you know, like... We'll just use this as an example. We sort of reserve the platform, you know, the, the heart of what, the, you know, in, in many people's minds, the heart of what's happening in the church. We sort of reserve that for the really spiritual ones, you know. But, but Jesus said, now look, there, there is something to, to be said for, you know, maturity and things like that. I'm not, I'm not advocating that you just let any old uninitiated uh, pagan off the street come up and lead worship. I'm not saying that. But Jesus is making it pretty clear. This was astonishing to the Hebrews who first heard these words. He was saying the foreigner, the Gentile, their offerings and sacrifices are welcome on my altar. Access. So I got to tell you, one of the reasons we do some of the things that we do around here is simply to allow people access. I will explain things sometimes that don't need to be explained by to a lot of us because there are some. There are some who need explanation. I'll say Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Not that most of us don't already know that, but somebody might not. I will explain when we lift our hands around here, this is why. Because I'm giving access. I'm inviting them in. Their worship of God is welcome. Now turn to verse, um, let's see, verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me. And hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. 
better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The sin scarred, the eunuch, the person who bears the scars, the deep scars of their idolatry. Remember, Jesus pointed us to this passage when he said, this is what my house is supposed to be like. And God is saying in this, in this place, in this uh, very powerful chapter in Isaiah 56, he's saying, don't let the eunuch get the idea that they're too far gone. Don't let them get that idea. He said, I will give in my house and in my, within my walls a place. Acceptance. Acceptance. Now, acceptance is not the same thing as validation. You know, if you come in uh, to be part of us at, or worship with us in this church, uh, as every single one who ever does with some issues, we're not going to validate that those issues don't need to be changed, that God doesn't need to address some stuff. But, we, but we're also not going to say, hey, you can't be part of us unless you change this. We accept you where you are because God does. And then he does change. He changes us. He says, even to them, even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name and identity. Sometimes the sin scarred, and I, I, <laughs> I'm sin scarred, okay? I'm, I'm one of them. And I know what this is like. You can kind of feel like what follows you is, is the, whatever your sin is called. In other words, and you've, it's kind of a joke, but I mean, you know, in, in self-help groups, we stand up and you say, my name is John, I'm an alcoholic, you know, whatever it is. And that that label, your sin, then follows you. And, and you're, you always are that. That's what you're known as. Well, God says, in my house... I'm going to give you a name. And it's not that one. And that name will be better than that of sons and daughters. Because you know, the eunuch couldn't have children. They couldn't have any progeny. No future. God was saying, in my house, you have a future. Bright with hope and promise, regardless of whatever has scarred you. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations.